Section 5 of The Black Cat, Volume 2, Number 4, January 1897. This is a LibreVox recording. All LibreVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibreVox.org. Read by Julie Burks. The Black Cat, Volume 2, Number 4, January 1897, Section 5, Denny, by Landis Mills. The incident was told to me years back, when I was second assistant engineer with the Golden Crown Mining Company at Red Dog. At the time, it raised by several notches, in my opinion, those rough miners with whom I was so constantly associated, and in later years I have often recalled it when the course of events has brought me face to face with the hypocrisy of a large city. It was told to me the eve before St. Patrick's Day, for I remember having started for a ball given by the Irish element. The night was clear and cold, but the wind was so sharp that I was chilled through, and stopped at the traveller's rest for a warming glass of stimulant. I pushed open the door, the old bullet-scarred door with its heavy hinges, and entered the bar-room. The usual crowd was not in evidence, and of the five occupants, four were in the act of taking their departure. They carried their shovels with them, and as they passed me and went out on the windy street, they wished me a good evening. The door closed behind them, and I was left alone with Parson Sam. I walked to the big stove, and while warming my hands, asked if the boys were going to work that night. Sam pulled at his pipe and replied, No. I remarked the fact that they had their shovels with them, and asked for what use they were intended. Sam took the pipe from his mouth, expectorated in the direction of the base of the bar, and replied, "'Going to give Denny an airing.' "'And what is the matter with Denny, and where is he?' I asked. "'Nothing at present,' he replied. "'He's in the cemetery on the hill.' "'Dead?' I asked. "'Yes,' he replied. "'And who was Denny?' A look of surprise came over his face as he asked, "'You haven't heard of Denny, Mr. Hopkins?' And then after a moment's pause he added, well, maybe that ain't so strange after all. You've only been in Red Dog some six or eight months, and Denny died just five years ago coming tomorrow. And why do they remember him so well now? I asked. Sam removed his arm from the back of his chair and rested his elbows on his knees, and gazing through the open door of the stove at the flickering flames told me the story of Denny. You see, Denny was sort of mild-like, awfully gentle and quiet-spoken, you know, so the boys didn't pay much attention to him, except when they were in bad humor and wanted someone to take it out on. He took it all in a quiet, good-natured sort of way, never thinking of hitting back, so we all thought he didn't have no sand. At least, that's what we thought until that St. Patrick's Day about which I'm telling you. There was a good deal of drinking going on the night before, and four patriotic Irishmen kept it up until they were regular blind. They were a sorry lot when they showed up for work the next day, and the boss gave them a regular raking down. That morning was the first time I ever saw Denny show any temper. He was mad clear through at the thought of working on St. Patrick's Day, and refused to take his pick out of the tool shed. When the boss comes up to him and asks what's the matter, 
Then he just points to the green ribbon pinned on the front of his shirt and it says, It's St. Patrick's Day and I don't work. Any other man would have been given his walking papers as quick as shooting, but somehow or other, the boss always made an allowance for Denny. But we can't stop work, Denny, he says. Denny stood sort of stubborn-like and replied, Well, you ought to have some sort of celebration, or at least run up a green flag over the office. The boss was humoring him and says, And we are going to celebrate. At ten o'clock, we be going to fire off a blast in honor of old St. Pat that will blow all the snakes out of Ireland. At ten, says Denny. Yes, at ten, replies the boss. That sort of satisfied him. Without another word, he grabbed his pick and went after the boys, a singing some Irish song. The boss wasn't joking, for just about the time he said, he called for all hands to quit work, and the engineer came in and placed the dynamite cartridge and the machine for setting it off. We all got at a safe distance and stood there awaiting the explosion. Denny was almost beside himself with delight, and stepping out a little in advance, he called out for his pal Jim to join him and see the snakes come wriggling out of the shaft. But Jim didn't answer, for he wasn't there. The engineer, who was a-holding his watch, seeing that things went off on time, turned round when he heard this and got awful wide. It didn't take no time for us to find out we were four shy, and them four the ones that had been so drunk the night before. Not a man spoke except the engineer, and he just said, My God! We all knew them fellers were still in the mine. Then it was that Denny made the sixty of us out to be cowards and him a hero. Without a word, he ducked his head between his shoulders and set off for the shaft as fast as his legs could carry him, the green ribbon a-fluttering over his shoulder. One or two of us made a move as if to follow him, but the engineer threw out his arm to stop us, and his voice sounded mighty strange when he yelled, It's death! Forty seconds! We all knew then that the cartridge would go off in forty seconds, and that we had seen the last of Denny. It sort of paralyzed the boys, and they just stood around like so many statues. To me, it seemed as if there were something closing in on all sides of me, sort of interfering with my breathing, and for the life of me I couldn't take my eyes off the engineer as he stood there holding his watch. He was as white as a piece of paper, and the sweat was running down his face just like it was midsummer. Forty seconds ain't much, Mr. Hopkins, but it seemed like a year to me. I was just beginning to think that maybe Denny had got there in time after all, when the engineer let go his watch and sort of slipped down praying like, the time was up, and the cartridge exploded. They say that drunken men has luck, and I reckon it's so, for them four drunken Irishmen weren't hurt at all. They were lying flat in the side tunnel when the cartridge went off, and aside from being nearly smothered, got off without a scratch. But it wasn't that way with Denny. He must have been right by the machine when the explosion took place, for he was all sort of caved in, and his green ribbon was as black as a piece of coal. Men had been killed in the mines before, but never like this, and for the first time there was a complete shutdown, all in honor of Denny. He had the biggest funeral that ever took place in Red Dog. We all felt as though we should like to do something for him, for, you see, we hadn't treated him just right when he was with us, 
but we didn't know just what to do until the engineer proposed that we plant grass on his grave. There wasn't no grass in the graveyard, you know, and we thought it would please him to have something green growing over him. You see, it was green he was wearing when he died trying to save the boys. So we had the engineer send to Chicago for the best grass seed that could be had, and when spring arrived, we hauled dirt from the valley and planted it. Ever since then, on the night before St. Patrick's Day, a committee, one man from each working gang, goes up and shovels away the snow and makes things ship-shape. So when the sun comes a-peepin' and a-smilin' over Baldwin's Ridge, a-lighten up St. Patrick's Day, there'll be one little spot of green in that big white wilderness, and the ribbons will be a-flutterin' from the stakes as mark out Denny's claim. That's what the boys be a-doin' now. End of section five. End of the Black Cat, volume two, number four, January, 1897.